0: hey what's up guys Michael pullman here and this is the Michael Pullman podcast yes we have a new name but never fear the same style of show where we sit down and talk to interesting people about their lives their careers their journeys and their passions something a wee bit different to you for you rather today uh, we are talking politics we're gonna be chatting. With Damien Light, he is the former uh, leader of the United Future uh, New Zealand Political Party, which is now defunct. Uh, but this guy, um, he, he's sort of a, a protege of of the great uh, Peter Dunn, uh, worked under Peter for, for quite a while, and uh, as I said, led that party into... Um, the 2017 New Zealand general uh, election, of course. Now the the party is defunct. So um, I interviewed Damien on the campaign trail uh, back in 2017, and I uh, wanted to reach out to him again because, you know, I was really curious about his mindset now and, you know, some of the reflections that he has on, on a very um, passionate uh, political career, which began well before 2017, so this is going to be a, a very good chat, something a wee bit different, usually we sit down and talk to media people and sports people, um, but you know, anybody who's got a really interesting story to tell, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm always very keen to have a talk to, so um, I, hope you, I hope you enjoy this guys, and please uh, let us know what you think. We've also got some new artwork by the way. Uh, Enough from me, let's get on with the show. Cue the intro. Something a little bit different today ladies and gentlemen. Damien Light on the podcast. How are you sir?
1: I'm very good Mike. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for making the time, man. Uh, I, I'm i a bit nervous because I'm used to talking to uh, media types and sports people and not, not often, a, you know, politics-minded persons. So, um, mate, how are things going for you at, at the moment? I guess to start with, just, just in case people don't know anything about who Damien Light is, why don't you tell people who you are and, and what it is that you
1: do? sort um, of I do? I probably most people probably know me um, from I was the leader of United Future in twenty seventeen, so the last um, general election. Um, I was took over for party leader when um, Peter Dunn um, stepped down, retired. Um, but I've been in politics for quite a few years now, so I've been um, involved in the parliamentary stuff, particularly um, keeping myself busy. Um, and um but for my career so to earn, to earn some money to pay the bills um i work in uh, business improvement um so for over a decade now um i work for large organizations um, helping them to understand how they can um, reduce waste improve efficiency um, uh, reduce costs um, and just make things better for staff, for the customers, but, and also for the shareholders, um, because ultimately it's all about the, the bottom line. So, um, yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing for the last couple of years as well. So, Very good.
0: now the, the um, forgive me again the uh, the Auckland local politics scene. Um, you were involved in that last year in in some way. I mean, comparing that to you know, what you've done with United Future. I mean, did you enjoy that, you know, running for that seat?
1: Yeah, yeah. So last year, so was it 2019? Yeah. um, I ran for Auckland Council. I actually ran, we had a by-election for Auckland Council in 2018 as well, which I also ran for, um, so for the seat of Howick. So Auckland has 20 councillors, um, plus the mayor um, and I was running for one of those seats in my local area um, yeah so 2018 and 2019 um, quite different from the parliamentary stuff um, the scale of it's very, it's much smaller obviously because instead of trying to get a national appeal you're trying to get a local appeal um, but I actually quite enjoy it because the issues are um, I would say they're more important than what parliament deals with but they're more, um, they're more directly impacting people so they tend to be things like transport, and you tend to be things like your rubbish, your parks, um, things you interact with on a day-to-day basis. Um, so Parliament you know, grapples with the big issues like you know, COVID-19 It deals with foreign affairs and the economy and housing, all the big stuff. The Council kind of deals with the, the day-to-day stuff, um, which I find really interesting. Um, quite a different kind of campaign, much more personal, much more one-on-one, a lot of conversations with individuals as opposed to large groups. Um, but I actually quite like that. Tend to get to the real issues and actually get a lot more covered. Um, some of the things, the problem with the, the parliamentary, the general election stuff is it's quite broad and quite mm. sort, of sort of sweeping statements and you kind of miss the detail. And the details actually, where I find really interesting. Um, that's yeah,
0: really interesting. yeah, yeah, yeah. V- very interesting, mate. Um, you know, and I I know like engagement of voters is something that is, is talked about a lot. I know you've talked about it. Um, Do you find that there is more engagement on those sort of local issues because, you know, the the voters are having to deal with those issues day in, day out, as you said?
1: Well it's interesting, eh? Because the turnout says no. So turnout for general elections is sort of seventy percent. Um the turnout for local election last year was we actually in in Howick, which is the area I live in, um, we were at forty percent, which has had one of the highest turnouts in all of Auckland, which is useless um it actually gets better the smaller the city interestingly the smaller the city or the smaller the town the better the turnout um and there's lots of reasons for that but i think probably the one that i think makes the most sense to me is that in the smaller places people know their councillors better they'll actually have a relationship with them and better connect with them and i think that's a big part of it um and i think that's true for the general engagement as well if people can see a politician or a group of politicians and they can understand them and they can um, connect with them and think, oh yeah, that person thinks like me or they represent ideas that I think are important. Then that's when people become interested in politics and they become engaged in the process. And we seem to be quite good at doing that in general elections, Um, Mm. even though the issues are bigger, but on local elections, actually, we seem to struggle with that more. Um, And I think it's because people don't necessarily understand how councils operate, um, what their councils and what the mayor actually does, and it's a bit of a disconnect. So it should be better engagement, and people tend to have strong opinions on council, but they don't necessarily vote, which is a disconnect, I think. Um, yeah, right, yeah.
0: Very well said, very well said. We'll get into all of that throughout uh, our chat, but uh, I just want to go back to the start, man. So um, just for context for my audience, how long have you been involved at, in politics at, at any level? When did you first start?
1: Well, my, my first, um, when I first became interested, I guess, was um, back in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was 18 years ago now. Um, that was the first election I could vote in. Um, and our family's always been quite, um, I come from a big family. I've got four brothers and a sister. Um, so plus mum and dad, there was eight of us around the table. We used to have dinner tables. We used to have some pretty you know, good debates about all sorts of things. Um, but when it came to politics, mum and dad were always keen that we determined who we wanted to vote for. They would give us their opinions, uh, but they wanted us to think about it. So 2002, that first election I get to vote in, so I thought, okay, yep, I need to find out, you know, scope out the parties, make, make some decisions. Um, and so there was a, an election debate on TV, which was um, had all the party leaders um, at the time, um, and um, they were all on TV, you know, scrambling and arguing and things. And there was this one guy in particular who stood out um, to me um, but also not just to me, but also just to the, to the public as well. Um, and they had this thing in that election debate where if the audience liked what they were hearing, um, they'd push a button. Um, and if they didn't like what they were hearing, they'd push a different button. And they displayed it on screen as this little worm. So it would go up if they liked what they heard, and it would go down if they didn't. Um, and so there's one guy, Peter Dunn, um, who I'd never heard of before, but thought, oh yeah, this guy just looks interesting. Every time he went on screen, he talked about common sense, he talked about family, and he had practical ideas. The worm would go up, and then the others would get on screen, and they'd just start bickering about politics and you know all this mm. rubbish, go down again. And I thought, oh, this, this Peter Dunn looks quite interesting. Like, he's, he speaks, you know, common sense. He talks about a lot of things that I think are important. Um, I'm interested in finding out more about this United Future that he's the leader of. Had a look at the website, thought, hey, these policies are brilliant. You know, these are, I couldn't have written these better myself. I'm all for these. So that was 2002. Voted for the party, um, as lots of people did. It was, you know, the future's best year for votes. Um, they did really well. They got 80 MPs in. Um, not all the MPs got in were the right ones, but, you know, it was what it is. Um, and then a couple of years later, I thought, actually, I like this party. Um, and I want to get more involved, um, so I signed up as a member, started going to meetings, um, and then in 2008, um, it's 12 years ago now. I um, I stood as a candidate for the first time um, on the North Shore, which is where I was living at the time. Um, so yeah, that was my first attempt as a as a candidate. Um, what was that like? Oh, it was, it was, I loved it. It was good fun. I've always enjoyed being a candidate. It's hard work. You know, you have to work really hard, um, but it's, I always enjoy it. Um, there's, it kind of, you, you get out as much as you put in, yeah. um, and depending on how much time and, and funds and resources and, and other things you've got, you can you can, you can throw everything at it. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I, first-time candidate, I think every first-time candidate makes this mistake, kind of thought, this is it, I'm going to win this, you know, I'm going to win this thing. It's been a safe national seat forever. Um, yeah. And this is, you know, uh, there's not much chance of me winning it. Um, but hey, I had a good crack at it, and I really enjoyed it. So um, it was 2008, and so I ran every election since then. Um, so I, yeah, can't get enough of it. I, I, there's something about being a candidate and engaging in that process. I find really enjoyable.
0: That's really fascinating. So, so for the, the layman, the layman, non-politic-minded uh, folk. Um, what's it like that the whole process of being a candidate, you know, I, I mean, I find it interesting because you said that, you know, you get out of it what you put in. There'd be a lot of skeptics out there that would say, oh, well, you get out of it what you put in financially. I mean, like, what went through that whole process for you, particularly that first time? I mean, what did you have to do to be a candidate, so to speak?
1: yeah yeah so it's it is a, a hint of a learning that, that first time was definitely a big learning experience for me um so the first bit is to get selected as a candidate um and everyone part every party does this a little differently um but normally you have to fill in some paperwork and say i'd like to be, I'd like to be a candidate and that's a, yeah, fill in. It's like applying for a job you've got to kind of fill in a bit of a cv and say this is why i'd be brilliant as a candidate um and ultimately as an mp they'll do a couple of checks Um, they might do some reference checks and background checks just to make sure that you know you're a reasonable person and it kind of depends how well they know you that you've been around for a while they know you better um if there's lots of people vying, then you you might have to there might be a contest a vote to see who's going to be selected um united future didn't have too many opportunities for that most of the time it was you put your hand up you were as long as you were a good candidate you were selected um and then you kind of, you've got to put a campaign team together. So normally it's friends and family, you know, and to volunteer um, to help out. So it's, um, you know, putting out billboards, you know, working out those signs up, you can, or people's fences in, in public places. Um, going and knocking on doors, which is, uh, it's very slow, but it's quite effective. Um, so it's, you know, and there's something knocking on someone's door. Some people are really good, and they love to have a chat. Um, some people are not so good you know and they'll tell you what they think um and um but yeah it's part of the process and you get to meet some really interesting people that's the thing i like about campaigning is the people that you meet um so you meet varied people um anyone who thinks new zealand is you know same same he just hasn't gotten out there um there's a, a really interesting range of people um some fantastic people um that i've met through through campaigning so yeah, it's a really good experience. You kind of you tend to be doing it as a team. You know, there's the there's the whole country working together. Um, particularly when you're running in general elections, there's a whole team behind you, um, and they'll be feeding policies, and so you'll be reading that and trying to understand where the, what the party stand is on things. But there's also local things, and then you can sort of understand where the party would stand. You can say this is what I would stand on this issue, um, and it's it's a it's an interesting experience because you're effectively trying to sell yourself. It's like mm. a job interview. Um, but instead of going along to an interview or two with a couple of people in a room, you're doing it very publicly. Um, everyone knows who's competing for the job, um, and it's a, it's a bit of a popularity contest. Yeah. Um, and funding is definitely part of it. Um, elections are expensive, um, and having some funds to you know pay for, for billboards, for posters, for advertising helps. Um, you don't have to spend huge amounts so you can be a little bit creative, um, and there's been some good examples of people like Chloe. who ran for Chloe Schwalbe. who ran for um, here of Auckland on a tiny budget, came in you know, a very reasonable third. Um, so this there are ways to do it um, by having you know having some money and some backing. Definitely helps. Um, those
0: yeah. those people that you meet along the way. I mean, I like. Th- Obviously, they shaped the way that you view not only politics, but I'm, I'm guessing the society around you. What were some of the uh, biggest um, biggest lessons that you learned uh, along the way about you know New Zealand, I guess I
1: think the, the, the thing with me which was I found really good is that it's the being able to um, put yourself in other people's shoes. And appreciate that not everyone thinks or is in the same situation, um, because it's very easy to sort of you live your life, you know, you're, you're working hard, you're doing what you need to do, um, but someone there's other people who will be in very different situations. Some of them are in much more fortunate situations, or they'll be, you know, they've, they were born into you know a wealthy family or into a good opportunity, and they've got all sorts of advantages. And there's people down the other end of the scale too, who've been, you know, unfortunate, you know just where they were born or the family they were born into doesn't have quite the same financial advantages or whatever it might be. And having those those differences and understanding that people and, and there's good people and bad people in all of those places. Um, and that um, that yeah that New Zealanders do live, despite the fact, you know, we're a pretty well off country. There are people who are struggling, um, and being able to understand that. And that's I mean, if you wanna be an MP, you want to be a politician, your job is to represent people. And it's not just to represent the people who look like you and act like you and think like you. Ultimately you're trying to be a representative for all of New Zealand. Um, and to do that, you've got to be able to empathize with people, and you've got to be able to talk with people. And you you may not have lived the life that they've lived or had those same experiences, but being able to have that conversation with people and understand um and, and try and th- put yourself in their shoes uh, or think about what it would be like to have lived that life or to experienced what they've experienced. Um, I find that really eye-opening and it's one of the best things about it. Um, every election I've ever been involved in, I've always learned a lot more. Um, I find when I go to meetings and talk to people, I often take away a lot more than I feel that I, that I leave with them. Um, mm-hmm. Because you, if you take the opportunity, you can talk to people about issues um that are really important to them and it's on the hard some of the really hard um heart wrenching stories about things that they're struggling with um and it's it's good exposure i think it's good experience um so yeah i think it's actually it's a good process to go through it's campaigning is hard but it's good because it exposes you to a lot more than just the sort of the life that you may have led um,
0: is campaigning a especially in the general election space Is that like a 24-7 thing? Like, like how do you... Because I talk to a lot of people about this on my podcast about, um, you know, switching off and getting away and coping mechanisms. Um, How did you manage that side of things
1: during those times? Yeah, it is is really hard. So I've always worked. So I've been working since, basically, since I left school. Um, And uh, full-time largely, certainly in the last 15 years. Every time I've been campaigning for election, including in 2017 when I was leader of United Future, I was working full-time. Um, I took a couple of weeks off in 2017 to that last bit of the campaign. But, um, yeah, I've generally worked because campaigning doesn't pay the bills. In fact, quite the opposite. It costs a whole lot, so you've got to pay for it somehow. Um, so you've got to have that balance. Some people do it full-time. Some people will quit their jobs or they'll take leave um, to focus on it um like there's definite advantages with that um but it is you can put into it as much as you want it could be a full-time job like 2017 was probably the most hectic i've been and that was a full-time job plus you know there was 48 hours worth of stuff to do in 24 hours you could just fill it with stuff um but you've got to kind of have some discipline and say actually no you know i've done a bunch today but i actually need to go to sleep because i need to get some rest because i've got to, you know all those will be a a shambles tomorrow, um, and it's understanding those. Another big bit of it, I think, is having a team around you, your family, your friends, um, that you can lean on and get to help you, um, and delegate some of that stuff out so you don't have to do everything yourself. Sometimes you actually need to pass that to other people, um, which is good. It's easy if you've got a team around you, um, and you've got people you can rely on. It's a bit harder if you're um, a candidate with a smaller team, um, you know, some people. Some the bigger candidates who have even got professionals and all that kind of stuff they can afford to hire people, which is, makes it much easier. Um, but, yeah, it's, it is quite hard. And the thing about being a candidate is you're putting yourself out there. Yeah. You know, you're literally standing on stage. You're knocking people's doors. You're putting your face on billboard. You're putting your face, your name, your ideals out there. And people will criticise you. And that's that's part of the process. Mm. But it can be quite hard. Yeah. Um, because talk, it gets to me about, talk to
0: me about that about that criticism, because I, you know, I mean, as a journalist, we have to be on social media all the time. Mm. And, um, you know, some of the things that are said about politicians, uh, t- to me, are just mm. way beyond the pale, Donald Trump included, you know, some yeah. of the attacks on him, for example. How How did you deal with that criticism? Like, what were some of, the, how, how bad did it get?
1: Yeah, it is really hard. I agree. I haven't been on the other side of it, on the receiving end of it, I guess I'm a little bit sensitive to it, but, like, I mean, I've actually got quite a thick skin. I've got, like I said, I've got four brothers and a sister, so growing up, you know, we used to have, we were pretty rowdy, Um, and even to this day, you know, we're in a friendly kind of manner, but, you know, insults fly and that kind of stuff, and everyone kind of, you know, pushes and sees how far they can can go. Um, And so I've got a pretty thick skin, but it does get to you even if you've even if you're you're used to it you can sort of you know because it is quite personal um and you're trying to put yourself out there and it is quite easy to take it personally understandably and like you said some of the things that are said and I I always say that anything personal is just unnecessary um criticize for their politics or for their positions or what they think but that's in a critical sort of debate argument, sort of thing. No, there's no need to get personal about what, how someone looks or how someone talks. Um, it is really hard. Social media is amazing. I love Twitter particularly, um, but Facebook and Instagram and, and all the, you know, the, yeah, all of them. They're really good because you can engage with people, you can have conversations with people, and you can connect with people. But they're also really hard because you, it's hard to get away from that. Mm. And um, people get quite vicious and they forget. Well, they either forget or they just don't care that there's a person on the other end. Yeah. Um, and they just, they'll just let you, you know, and some of the stuff, yeah, some of the stuff messages we got, I got, um, particularly in 2017, obviously, because previously I'd kind of been a, sort of um, under the radar once it's 2017, I kind of blew up. Um, yeah. A whole bunch of people sent some, some pretty awful stuff. Yeah. Some of it, I would engage people and correct them um, and yeah. say, you know, that's not true and, and you sort of, but there is a point in which you have to say actually no, I'm not trying to solve all those problems, and I can't... You have to kind of ignore it. Um, and it is quite hard.
0: At the same time, there must have been, particularly in 2017, there must have been... So I think I interviewed you then as well. <laughs> there must have been a shit ton of pressure for you in the absence of somebody by the name of Peter Dunn. I mean, how did you... Do, did you feel that pressure?
1: Yeah, the pressure... So it was interesting. So, when Peter retired, the question we had as a was a party. So we we sat down. And we had a phone conversation, about? We had a conversation about it. And we said, you know, what do we want to do? And we were determined to continue because we believed in what we were what we were standing for. We put in a whole lot of effort. The campaign was already kind of getting underway. We agreed policies. We had candidates so that we did. And the pressure for me was, it wasn't. I wasn't so worried about that. I would make a mistake and um, do something that would make me look silly, but that as the leader, I knew that what I did reflected on the other candidates and I really liked, I mean, I worked with most of our candidates for many years. Um, and they're just a great bunch of people and I didn't want to let them down. So the pressure and they were all fantastic about it. Um, they weren't putting pressure on me, but I certainly felt the pressure to perform because I knew I was kind of representing not just myself, but the whole party, which is a bit different when you're a candidate, you, you are representing the party, but you're a, you're a piece of it. Um, when you kind of end up in the leader space, um, what you do and what you say becomes very, you know, people judge the whole party on that. Um, yeah. It was quite, it was hard. Um, a lot of that pressure I put on myself. Um, and my partner was quite good about telling me to actually just sometimes just actually just sit back and just, mm. um, you know, take, take a moment, step back, let it rest, think about it. and And ultimately you can only do what you can do. You know, mm. you can never do more than that is possible. Um, and of so us just being able to acknowledge what's actually practical. Can I go to 27 meetings in one day? No, I can go to two. Okay, well, which two are we going to, you know? So you've got to kind of be practical. Um, At the same time, right, like, you know, United
0: Future was a smaller party compared to, you know, your National, your Labours, your Greens, your New Zealand first. When, when it came to dealing with the media, and, and you know, having to go on the morning show, stuff like mm. that. Was that a frustrating process? Because I, I could just imagine some of the questions that you would have been asked. Like, how did you find that side of things?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was equal parts enjoyable and equal frustrating. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, like I enjoy talking to people, um, I love the, the discussions and the debates and the, and the conversations. Um, I'm quite happy to. I'd much rather answer a bunch of questions from someone than read a prepared speech. Just prepare anyone, you know, speeches are, you know, I, I find it rather boring. I much prefer to actually get to the, the, um, the actual root of the, the issue that people want to talk about. Um, and yeah, but it was quite hard as a small party because there was this, and there still is this problem. And I always feel a little bit for small, uh, for smaller parties. I've got a soft spot. People have this, Oh, well, you're not going to get in. Mm. So why could we bother? That's always the first question. And there's sort of this, this assumption that small parties will fail and they're just a novelty, which is yeah. historically hasn't, isn't entirely untrue because small parties have definitely struggled. But it's a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy where the media keeps talking about how small parties are small and no one really votes for them and so they always fail. And so people don't vote for them. Um, just this week, I saw someone on Facebook saying, oh, I was going to vote for the small party this year, but I'm not going to do it because I know they won't get in. no they will never successfully get into parliament if you don't vote for them because that's what matters in the end Um, and it is quite frustrating so EMP is good but there's still some some misunderstandings on how it works Um, and it is really hard because you've got to get to that 5% which doesn't sound like a lot but it's actually a big chunk of the vote so it is is tough Um, and there's a lot in 2017 there was I think it was seventeen, eighteen political party standing. Um, mm. Media kind of talks about the top five or six. And then there's a couple of small ones. Um, but actually there's 17. So there's actually a really big list. I don't know how many will be this year, but um, there's, a, there's not a lot of space for the small parties to kind of... Do know, you, you know, think
0: this year, it's going to be even tougher for those smaller parties, ACT included, you know, um, be, because, like, I mean, you look at the polls at the moment, um, it, it's all about Labour right now, and, and um, you know, I personally, I'm really excited about what, what um, uh, this new national guy could potentially do, whether or not it's too late, that's another story. But do you think, just looking at the numbers at the moment, it's gonna be more of the same for those smaller parties where some might even go under again.
1: Yeah, it will be very, very interesting. Um, just on the too late comment, I think Jacinda Ardern showed in 2017 mm. that pulled yep. out, of the, out of the bag, and maybe this is National's opportunity. Um, last week I was looking at it thinking, this is Labour's election, it's all over. Um, I mean, we're, we're gonna have to, we'll have to wait and see how National does, but I think this is the best chance of anything. Um, and I think it's good because I, I hate seeing elections where it's kind of a, the, the result is already kind of known before the election. I like a good fight because it should be yeah. about who's the best. Um, but I am yeah, int- the small parties would be interesting. One of the things I noticed in those polls was that the small parties were still getting one or 2%, mm. um, which isn't a lot, but it's not bad. Um, usually about a year out from the election, most minor parties don't register at all. And the closer you get to elections, the, the more people start to think about it. Um, so it's, it is possible. The interesting thing would be is um, the small parties tend to do well when the big parties are not doing well. Um, so initially when, when National was looking at sort of 30%, it looked like the small parties were the, beginning of the ones to pick up. But if National manages to call some of that back, then maybe the small parties will struggle because they tend to get kind of lost in the noise. Um, but the small parties are interesting because I, I mean, I'm a member of a small party, obviously I'm it's quite biased, but they, the big parties are going to be there either, National or Labour, unless something drastically goes wrong, they will be in Parliament. The small parties though, determine the kind of government we get, mm. whether it's, you know, we've had the Greens in recently, so it's been slightly more environmental, we also had New Zealand First, so it's slightly more um, you know, skewed toward New Zealand First policy, which is, you know, they've got some big wins in the budget. So it does affect them. So obviously, who wins National Labour is important, but it's almost, in my view, it's more important who the smaller parties are that support them, because it will pull National or Labour to either side. Um, and actually, has a pretty good impact on what the kind of government ends up being. Um, so I'm always saying to people, yep, National Labour's good, but look at the small parties, think about which one of those you'd like to be influencing the government, um, and have a serious think about voting for them. Because I think they tend have different ideas, they bring new ideas, um, they're a bit more smaller, and which means they can be a little more agile. Um, National Labour tends to take a while to adopt new ideas, so Yeah.
0: Very interesting I mean if we can go for maybe another 10 minutes that would be yeah. would that be cool yeah because um, I don't want to talk more about you but the final well the final ish question about national politics um, you know this has been a unprecedented I said it again mm. uh, time um, you, you know what do you think about the state of New Zealand at the moment um, generations are going to be you know, having to uh, pay pay this back. Uh, you know, h- how do you think it's all gone and where to from here for, for government, no matter if, if that's red or blue?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, eh? It is definitely unprecedented, and I like really you see that everyone keep saying that, but it really is very yeah. different. Um, and I know there's some, you know, some people have suggested some analogies to the 1918 flu, Similar, but it's a little bit different. I think the world's very more connected now than it ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in 19, 1918, you know, isolating people was obviously was drastic, but doing it today is very different because the way people interact and engage and travel. Um, I mean, tourism, you know, was our number one export um, until until COVID nineteen. So yeah, it's very very different. Um, I think it's easy. I, I think the government's done a good job they haven't done a perfect job um they've made there's a couple of mistakes um there's a bit of, they've talked about going fast and going hard and going early um I, I, there's a bit of a debate about that around the borders should they close them earlier that kind of thing um but i mean ultimately the results is what kind of counts and from a public health point of view i think they've done a pretty good job um you know we've effectively eliminated it, we're down to a very small number of cases. We've got control over the clusters. We know where they are, we're reducing the alert levels and things are starting to return to whatever the, you know whatever normal is now. Um so I think from a health point of view that's worked quite well. Economically it's a challenge. Um I know people have said you know they could have kept the economy going a bit longer, but I think that's a that's a you've got to weigh up those those options. Um, and I think personally I've always viewed that You've got to take people first. Um, and I think it's also a little bit, uh, it's not true to say that they shut the entire economy down because the primary industry, which is an area that I work with, the primary industries have been working the whole time. You know, farms have still been operating, meat um, processing plants, we've been logs. The place has still actually been functioning. Um, it's the retail industries and places like that that are definitely struggling. And it's, it is very hard. But, um, And I can see why the government's made those big decisions to increase, um, you know, the the wage subsidies they've done, which makes sense. Um, And I can kind of also see why they've kept themselves a a big chunk of their budget Mm -hmm. for spending because they're going to need it. Um, I think the bit that people um, are missing is what we've seen in the economy so far has been very short term. It's a couple of months. and We're in lockdown, we're coming out of lockdown. That's starting to, you know, those are starting to ease, and are starting to return to normal. But the real economic impact's gonna come later. So, you know, the US is still very much in the throes of this. This is really quite early days for them. Um, you know, China, which is another one of our big, obviously a big markets, is stabilizing, but they're still sort of, depending on who, if you believe in the media, still struggling a bit. Um, and ultimately, in Europe, has obviously still got some problems. So the world market, the world economy, it's going to have a much bigger impact on new zealand and i don't mm. think we're going to feel that until next year mm. um because it just takes a while for this that sort of stuff to actually flow through we'll start to see shortages and, and issues coming so um, i think currently we're doing okay um but i don't think anyone should be expecting that things are going to be plain sailing from here on i think things are going to get economically worse um, yeah yeah it's, it's very true and, and i mean
0: i've said throughout this whole thing like you know, don't, yep, we need to be thinking about New Zealand and, and, you know, our government's done a good job, but really we probably need to be thinking as much, if not more, about what's happening in the Chinese market, the US market. Uh, as somebody who loves politics yourself, uh, I know this is a loaded question, so feel free to answer how little you want. What do you think about standing the US politics right now?
1: Oh, it's a shambles. It's a shambles. But it's interesting, though, because I'm having this debate with someone the other day. Trump, obviously, I I disagree with Trump on pretty much almost anything and everything he's done. Um, But I don't, Trump, I don't think Trump's the, the cause of the problem. I mean, he's the cause of many of the current problems, but he's actually more of a symptom of a broken system that they've got in America, where... And it has been, if you look back, it's been getting worse and worse for years. Um, it was bad under Bush, Obama got even more partisan, and Trump is just kind of and, and he, he he's living off it and he's using it and trying yeah. to kind of weaponize. Um and don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing anything he's done, it's some of the stuff he's done is absolutely appalling. But even if they got rid of Trump, and Trump loses the election in November and he's gone, if they don't fix their systemic problems, they'll have another one. Um yeah. They've got this very partisan system and it's, it's set up to have two parties where they bash each other, you know, and it's supposed to be checks and balances, but it doesn't really work. Um, they end up beholding each other to, to ransom for ridiculous things. Um, I mean, some of the stuff that we've seen the last couple of, of months in America is just proof of it. I mean, things like their health care and all that, all that stuff that everybody's kind of been talking about for years is finally kind of mm. happened. But um, fundamentally, they've got to fix some of those underlying problems. Um, yeah. And if they don't, you know, they'll have another Trump-like character. And if it wasn't Trump, it was going to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I definitely don't think Trump's. Yeah. But and I have to say, I wouldn't. I wouldn't write him off. I mean, I know he's he's had a shocker of a year and a shocker of a term, but he pulled it out of the hat last time. Yeah. And I he wouldn't put it past Americans to vote for the Greens.
0: You know, it's actually very interesting, and I mean, I might I might get some criticism for saying this, but I was watching the news, um, and all these American um, anti you know lockdown protesters and people lining out for food banks that you know you can bet that they're going to be voting. A lot of those are going to be voting for Trump in, in this election, and I mean, it's a similar, not similar, but it, it I get similar vibes to 2016 about this Mm -hmm. um because it's that what gets somebody like trump into power is anger and you know resentment and there is a lot of that in america right now um moving on though man yeah back back to you bro like you're you're so, you working in, in farming
1: at, at the moment? Something like so, that. So, um I work for a company that um called Assure Quality and we do um we do food assurance for primary industry. So yeah, we work with farms, we work with retailers, we work with manufacturers, exporters all across kind of if it's an if it's involved in the production of making food um yeah. from, from from yeah, from, from the very beginning as of the seed all the way through to putting it on a, on a shelf in a supermarket, we're probably involved at some point. Um, so kind of end to end and it's, uh, New Zealand owned, so said an enterprise. So func- majority function New Zealand, but we've got a bit of an overseas reach as well. Um, but it's really good. I really enjoy it because it's a good company to work for. Um, we've got a, we've got a clear essential kind of purpose. Um, you know, we help make sure that the food you're eating is safe to eat, but it's, if it says it's organic, it's actually organic, but it's, If it says free range, it's free range, that kind of important stuff. Um, So making sure that um, the food we eat's good, um, and also that it's sustainable, and it's looking after the people who create it and things as well. So um, Yeah, it's a good organization. Um, And my role there is effectively problem solving.
0: Mm.
1: So um, we're working on a big project at the moment, but even um, on a day-to-day, we'll be identifying areas that we want to improve on. So it might be, this is a problem for customers, this is a problem for staff, Um, All this just isn't making us enough money. Something's broken with the financials. And then we'll go away, and there's a whole bunch of problem solving tools you can use, and you can pick it apart um, and try and work out what the root cause of it is. And then we try and fix it. And sometimes it's just we just change the way we operate. Sometimes we have to put in some technology, um, or sometimes it's just a matter of training, you know, or having the conversation. We realize actually there's actually a good way of doing it. So, yeah, it's good. I enjoy it. It's really satisfying work
0: gonna leave one of the biggest questions to last and I mean I you know New Zealand is a very progressive country but I still think we have got a long way to go okay. being an openly um, gay politician and a gay man what's that like what's it like to be uh, you know it sucks that I even have to ask this question but like what's it like being an openly gay guy in New Zealand?
1: it's kind of interesting because i was so i was born in i was born in 83 and homosexuality was decriminalized in 86 Mm. um so which is that was technically illegal then on, um but the attitudes, sort of societal attitude always take a bit longer to catch up so i certainly remember in the 80s and early 90s it was definitely not something you talked about it was you know there was the odd person who might be but most people it was you know and then, um, early two thousands, I suppose it started to become more normal. Um, and now it's one of those things I'll just casually mention it to people, and it's to most people it doesn't register. Um, some people do. Some people still have a problem with it, um, but generally, most people are pretty fine with it. That most people have kind of moved on. Um, so I've kind of seen a little bit of the tail end, but I know that if we go further back, sort of generations before the struggles they had to go through um, and the, the things that the psychological and, and social um, impacts it's had on them are still mm-hmm. to this day, you know, they still struggle with it. Um, but I also look at um, younger people, younger generations now, and it's far more, 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 far more accepted, um, which is fantastic. And I think that's, that's really good. Um, from a political sense, I don't know that it had much impact. There was a bit of noise about it when it, when I, when it was sort of became public, um, although I was out for quite some time before that. But it sort of and it became a bit of a spin. I mean, it was interesting. There was a couple of headlines and a few people commented and said, Well, oh, why did you why did you say that in the interview? But someone will interview you for an hour, you'll talk about a thousand different things and then they'll choose to report on four of them. It's like, well I didn't write the article, I didn't write the headline, I didn't have the photo. Um, so you can't really control that. And the media wants to put us they want to have something, a spin, they want to have a Something unique about the story, so they'll choose to write it about a certain thing. So um, you, know, you can't control that. Um, so yeah, it doesn't. I don't know that it affects me too much, um, but I I do accept that I say that from a privileged point of view, being a you know white, um, you know middle class, reasonably well off. Um, it's, it's easy for me to do that. Um, not everyone New Zealand is in that same situation, or has you know come up in a. In a, in a in a position where they're privileged they don't, that it doesn't become a problem. Um, that's not to say that I hasn't been challenging at times. Um, I've definitely had family and friends who struggled with it. Um, and it's challenged relationships at times and, and, and some of them have ended it as a result of it. Um, so it's not, it's not easy, um, but I think it's getting better and I think it's improving. And even in my lifetime, as I said, I've kind of seen it improve. Um, so yeah, it's kind of getting to that point, hopefully, where it doesn't, make such a difference um to people in a negative sense anyway um if it can be a positive thing that's you know and i did have a few people contact me and say that you know they saw it as a positive and it was you know and i've it's very humbling to have that um um certainly wasn't my intention but you know if i'm able to help people yeah that's that's fantastic
0: so what's this for you Uh, i mean you're you, you're always going to have skin in the politics game by the sounds of it, um, you know, and, and you are, you know, I, I probably didn't talk about this enough in the interview, but you're just such a, you know, when I read anything that you do, I just get this vibe that you're a guy who wants to improve on everything and and wants to get to the root issue of, of the issues, you know what I mean? Um, so... How do you take all that and what's next for you?
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's probably, I think, the thing. I think I've always, and I think it's my parents, um, my parents, my, my managers have had at work, um, have always very much encouraged me, if I see something that's not right, to try and fix it. And that might be a social issue or it might be at work. It's more of a, you know, like a business process problem. But it's about saying, hey, is there something here that we can do better? How do we make it better? Um, and I've always kind of had a passion for that and I find that deeply satisfying being able to actually improve things so that's kind of my driver has always been how can I make things better um, and one of the reasons I ran for Parliament um, was to support a party initially it was to support a party that I thought was trying to make things better um, and then eventually it became a, well I think I can help to make things better I think I can you know, contribute to this and improve things um, and then being a candidate even though I wasn't successful I still think that we did help, we did actually, we debated people, we discussed issues, we represented, there were people whose views we represented. um, And we made sure that those views were heard and that they were discussed. Um, And some of the policies that we ran on have been picked up by other parties and are actually getting implemented as well, which is is also, they're not under our name, but it doesn't really matter that they're happening. Mm. Um, So my plan for the next couple of years at least is to keep doing that at work. Um, keep that problem solving, fixing things, improving the business, Um, but also staying at council. So my focus is going to be on local politics for a few years. Um, I love Auckland. I've lived here my whole life. Um, It's a fantastic place. It's broken as anything as well. You know, the transport is just appalling, Um, but it's nothing we can't fix. And that's to me the thing. Yes, it's not great. You know, it can be so much better, but it can be so much better. So let's, let's get on and do that. Um, And so I'm a a, much—I'm probably an optimist, I guess, if I'm honest. I like to say I'm pragmatic, but I'm probably an optimist. I think things can always get better. Um, So I want to be part of that. I want to be part of enabling that and making that thing happen. Um, It's not about the glory and the the, the, seeing it happen. It's more just the the satisfaction at the end of the day, being able to say, "Hey, that is better than it was when I woke up this morning." That's great. Um, It doesn't matter who gets credit for it. I'm not really interested in that. But if things have improved, then yeah. It's good.
0: It's awesome. Well, thank you, Damien, for being on the show, man. I really appreciate your time.
1: Well good, thank you for having me on.
0: Cool.